0: It's November 1st, 2021, and this is Markets Daily from Coindesk. I'm Adam B. Levine here again with Adrian Blust for your daily news roundup. On today's show, we're talking Bitcoin, a post scarcity world, the latest headlines, and more. This episode is sponsored by Kava, Nexo.io, and Market Intel by Chainalysis. And just a reminder that Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Bitcoin's October rally appears to have put the cryptocurrency on a firm footing ahead of central bank meetings in the U.S., U.K., and Australia to assess the stickiness of inflation and determine policy response. The top cryptocurrency rallied nearly 40% in October, hitting a fresh record high of $66,975 per BTC as investors cheered positive seasonality and the launch of futures-based Bitcoin exchange-traded funds, or ETFs, in the U.S. That was the biggest single-month percentage rally since December of 2020, according to Coindesk data. While key indicators favor a positive follow-through in the coming months, it may not be a smooth ride if the impending scaling back of stimulus, also known as the taper, by the U.S. Federal Reserve and other major central banks rocks equity markets. Wednesday's U.S. Central Bank meeting is widely expected to conclude with policymakers announcing plans to begin tapering the monthly $120 billion worth of asset purchases that have triggered unprecedented risk-taking across all corners of financial markets over the past 18 months. Analysts told Coindesk last month that the Fed taper is priced in, so the market reaction will depend on the Fed's language on inflation and the timing of the first interest rate hike. On Friday, analysts at Goldman Sachs brought forward their forecast for the first rate hike to July from Q3 of 2023, according to Bloomberg. The investment banking giant expects the second rate hike in November of 2022, followed by two rate hikes in 2023 and 2024. While equities and Bitcoin have remained resilient, Things may change if the Fed statement carries fewer references to inflation being transitory. That would perhaps imply policymakers' growing discomfort with high inflation and validate fears of faster rate hikes, in turn bringing selling pressures to equities and to Bitcoin. Bytree Asset Management's Charlie Morris told Bloomberg that Bitcoin is a risk on inflation hedge. The cryptocurrency's gold-like store of value appeal mainly attracts buyers when global financial markets see strong demand for growth-sensitive assets. However, Bitcoin mostly takes a beating when global markets wilt. Today's crypto coverage comes courtesy of Coindesk's Omkar Godbole. Bitcoin is currently trading at $61,876, that's up 2.6% in the last 24 hours, while Ether is trading at $4,347, that's up nearly 4% in the same time period, according to the Coindesk Price Index. In traditional markets, U.S. stock futures edged higher to start the month as investors awaited fresh earnings and clarity later in the week on the Federal Reserve's interest rate plans. Futures for the S&P 500 added half a point on Monday after the index last month recorded its largest percentage gain since November of 2020. Contracts for the tech focus NASDAQ 100 and the Dow Jones Industrial Average also each rose half a point. Meanwhile, European equities on Monday added to a record high hit last week as investors shrugged off concerns about central bank rate rises in response to high inflation. The regional stock 600 share index rose just under one percentage point in morning dealings in Europe, while in London the FTSE 100 gained half a point. Continuing to the east, Asian stock markets were mixed on Monday, with Tokyo's topics closing 2.2% higher after the ruling Liberal Democratic Party held its majority in Sunday's parliamentary election, cementing hopes of more government stimulus spending to counteract the economic shocks of COVID-19. Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index fell just under a full percentage point as recent COVID-19 outbreaks in China weighed on business sentiment. Today's traditional markets coverage draws from the Wall Street Journal and the FT, and of course you can find all of the links to those articles in the show notes. And speaking of show notes, here's a few quick headlines we're tracking today, which you can find the full links to also in the show notes for this episode. Then after the break, we'll take a look at how we may already be living in a post-scarcity world. But first, here's what's hot. In big picture news, investors are weighing whether momentum from the stock market's record-breaking rally will continue in the last two months of 2021, a traditionally strong calendar period for equities, but a stretch that may carry more risks than usual this year. The S&P 500 has rallied 22.6% year-to-date, its best January through October performance since 2013, and November and December tend to be among the strongest months for stocks. This time around, however, the year-end period may have more than its usual share of pitfalls, as investors brace for the looming unwind of the $120 billion per month Federal Reserve Government bond-buying program we told you about earlier that's helped stocks more than double from their March 2020 lows. Reuters has that report. In supply chain news, a new measure intended to relieve congestion at Southern California ports threatens to pit U.S. importers against ocean carriers, highlighting divisions and competing interests at America's busiest gateway for container imports. The ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach plan to begin charging these shipping lines starting November 15th for containers that sit too long at marine terminals. A temporary fee officials say addresses a key part of the log jam that's tied up operations at the port complex and led to record numbers of ships waiting offshore to unload goods. The Wall Street Journal has that one. In labor news, Bloomberg has a story entitled Powell Risks Rerun of 1960s Inflation from Confusing Jobs Market. In the late 1960s, U.S. economic policymakers misjudged how hot they could run the job market without fanning inflation. The miscue paved the way for an economically debilitating wage price spiral the following decade. Now, some economists are wondering whether Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell and his colleagues are making the same mistake. They are aggressively pushing for a return to the pre-pandemic labor market of half-century low joblessness despite widespread worker shortages, rising wages, and surging inflation. Bloomberg has more on that one. Turning to international news, draft rules out of South Africa indicate that pension funds will be banned from crypto investment. A fund may not invest in crypto assets directly or indirectly, the proposed rule change states in the Government Gazette published Friday. This would replace existing legislation that allowed portfolio managers to invest as much as 2.5% of funds in crypto as part of an umbrella other assets category. The South African government defines a crypto asset as a digital representation of value, quote, not issued by a central bank, but is capable of being traded, transferred, or stored electronically by natural and legal persons for the purposes of payment, investment, and other forms of utility, applies cryptographic techniques, and uses distributed ledger technology, end quote. Coindesk's Jamie Crowley has that full report. Meanwhile, Chinese tech giants are likely working to appease regulators. China's big tech appears to be facing increasing pressure over its involvement with NFTs. The market hype around the unique digital assets appears to have made regulators worry that NFTs are edging too close to crypto trading, which has been practically banished from China in large part for creating too much market speculation. Coindesk's Jamie Crowley has that report as well. In an interesting bit of news, Argentina is aiming for the first crypto futures contract in Latin America. A local exchange revealed last week that it had submitted a proposal to Argentina's securities regulator to launch Bitcoin futures settled in Argentine pesos. Talks, which began a few months ago, are on track, according to the report, but the regulator has not ruled on the matter. Bloomberg has that one. Turning to industry news, MicroStrategy CEO Michael Saylor's 17,732 BTC holdings are now worth $1.1 billion. The vocal Bitcoin proponent has made a gain of more than 500% on its holdings over the past year. Saylor confirmed in an exchange with Coindesk that he has not
1: sold any of his Bitcoin holdings. And in lighter news, here's our associate producer, Adrian Blust. The fast food chain Burger King plans to give away crypto as prizes to its customers in partnership with brokerage platform Robinhood. Starting Monday for three weeks, members of Burger King's Royal Perks Loyalty Program in the U.S., who spend more than $5 on the restaurant chain's app, will be rewarded with one coin from a pool of 20 Bitcoin, 200 Ether, or 2 million Dogecoin. The overwhelming majority of users will receive Doge, but roughly 1 in every 10,000 will receive an Ether and 1 in every 100,000 will receive a complete Bitcoin. Having received an email confirming the reward, users just need a Robinhood crypto account to claim it. Coindesk's Jamie Crawley has the story. And shifting over to NFT news, here's why a CryptoPunk sold for $530 million. Crypto Twitter was briefly ablaze Thursday night as a CryptoPunk non-fungible token or NFT was purchased for a staggering half billion dollars, a figure that would have made the sale one of the largest ever, not just in NFT land, but in all of art history. However, on-chain analysts were quick to point out the sale may have just been an elaborate publicity stunt. A look at the chain reveals that the purchase may have just been a bit of smart contract magic. The purchase was made by a flash loan contract and worked like this. Step 1. Flash loan as much as you can. Step two, list your punk for an insane amount of ETH with one account. Step three, buy it from another account. Step four, give yourself the ETH back with the account you used to sell the punk. And step five, repay the flash loan. Banterlytics, a contributor to the on-chain analysis publication titled Our Network, told Coindesk that the transaction was likely conducted solely for the bans. Coindesk's Andrew Thurman has the story. Thanks very much for that, Adrian.
0: Stay tuned for after the break. We'll be back with a look at a post-scarcity society and how we may already be living in one, at least in some areas. Back in a minute.
2: Kava gives you the ability to earn more by connecting the world's largest cryptocurrencies, ecosystems, and financial applications on DeFi's most trusted, scalable, and secure earning platform. Kava is an institutional-grade cross-chain engine built to scale on the largest decentralized proof-of-stake network. With loan APYs as low as 0% and reward APYs as high as 200%, Kava is the safest place for you to grow your digital portfolio. Mint stablecoins. Lend, borrow, earn, and swap safely across the world's biggest crypto assets with Kava. To learn more, visit kava.io slash marketsdaily. Looking to make the most of your crypto assets? Nexo.io's got you covered. Grow your wealth securely with Nexo's high-yield interest accounts. Buy crypto on your terms directly within Nexo's platform and start earning daily compounding interest right away. Get the cash you need without selling your crypto from just 6.9% APR. Instantly swap between 100 crypto and traditional currency pairs. And don't worry, Nexo is insured against losses up to $375 million. Get the most of your crypto at nexo.io. That's N E X (laughs) O.io. Market Intel by Chainalysis is your ticket to the moon. Whether you're an asset manager searching for a signal to make crypto investments, a quant analyst interested in spotting market trends, or a VC looking to fund the next emerging player in the crypto ecosystem, Market Intel is for you. Utilizing 53 metrics across 10 categories, like whales, exchanges, liquidity, and supply, Market Intel arms you with the most complete on-chain dataset to help you reach your goals. To get started, head to markets.chainalysis.com.
0: Today's featured story is an opinion piece from Paul Brody, who's a CoinDesk columnist and EY's global blockchain leader. One of the most hotly debated topics in the world of blockchain and economics today centers on inflation and interest rates and the future of the economy. Quite a few people believe the case for investing in some cryptocurrencies is built on the likelihood of future inflation, something they see as a near certainty given the combination of low interest rates and quantitative easing. Given that interest rates represent the cost of money, interest rates that are near zero implies that money is, in a sense, free or very nearly free. Consequently, there's a risk that people will use too much of it, leading to inflation as consumers chase a limited supply of goods, in turn reducing their value as prices rise. But what if that calculation is wrong in many cases because there isn't a limited supply of goods? If you live in the San Francisco Bay Area, as I do, electric cars and self-driving test vehicles seem routine these days. If you live in China, you probably haven't used cash for ages. It's not just that some geographies are further ahead than others, some parts of our lives are as well. Instant access to nearly every piece of music ever made? Check. Quick visit to the Department of Motor Vehicles? Probably not in my lifetime. While progress may be uneven, it's increasingly clear that many of us are starting to live, at least partially, in a post-scarcity world of unlimited supply. Futurists have talked about this possibility for so long and it seemed so far away, that we may be failing to observe its slow but steady arrival. In science fiction, this abundant future is often shown as a place of unlimited physical products, but it's actually arriving in an era of unlimited digital services and ever cheaper, but not free, products. As a result, the future is sneaking up on us nearly unnoticed. For all human history, scarcity was the condition where we lived scarcity of food, shelter, warmth, education, whatever it was, there was never enough to go around. For many, the world looks different today. More and more of what we consume has an effectively infinite supply. There's seemingly unlimited supply of short format videos, for instance. No matter how many you watch, you can never consume them all and nobody else is being deprived. Digital goods have a unique property in that they offer a truly unlimited supply at zero marginal cost. But even other products and services are slowly but surely headed in the same direction. Though the cost of a new television or a house may never be zero, They are all headed forever lower thanks to continuously rising worker productivity. In many cases, they'll eventually be so inexpensive as to be, for all practical purposes, free. Additionally, the zero-cost element of digital technology is gradually impacting every other industry. Gasoline-powered cars are complex mechanical systems where thousands of little gas explosions each minute propel you forward, and they depend upon fuel made from dead dinosaurs. Electric cars, on the other hand, are practically smartphones with batteries and wheels. Where much of the value comes in the form of software, which, again, has zero marginal cost. The energy used for these electric vehicles can come from the sun, which is apparently good for another few billion years. A zero-cost market may seem like something new, given the digitization of our economy has significantly accelerated how consumption works in the last 50 years. But if you zoom out far enough, there's some compelling new evidence that this trend towards ever lower costs of everything did in fact start a long time ago. How long ago? About 800 years, according to a recent paper from Paul Schmelzing, a visiting researcher at the Bank of England, typical interest rates of around 15% in the 1300s have given way, over centuries, to real interest rates close to zero. If Schmelzing is right, the current bout of free money isn't a temporary situation brought on by a global recession and a pandemic. It's going to be a permanent feature of the global economy going forward. And if that is true, we might want to start thinking about what the world looks like in that post-scarcity future. If money is free and low interest rates don't fuel inflation in many segments of the economy, then perhaps giving it away to lots of people all the time is a perfectly reasonable idea. The consequences of this shift could be large but unpredictable. While scarce physical goods facing supply chain bottlenecks are rising in price, many digital products and services face no such capacity pressures, making them even cheaper by comparison. That might mean a shift towards even more digital consumption. Alternatively, it might also mean more and more of the money that's available is going to be directed to things that really are scarce, leading to accelerating price increases in other areas such as real estate. Buy land, the saying goes. They're not making any more of it. A post-scarcity world is arriving, and it's time we started adjusting our view of the economy and along with it, the value proposition of all our technologies. Blockchains, which can only exist thanks to a near-zero cost of computing, are set to become one of the main mechanisms for efficiently managing scarcity. And the role of this technology in the future of our economy looks pretty secure. And that's our show for today. Thank you very much for listening. This episode is edited by Adrian Blust and you can send us an email at podcast at coindesk.com. We'll be back tomorrow with another news roundup. And just a reminder that Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice.